Before we get into this episode of Conversations with Dwyer, I want to invite you to check out themattdwyer.com. There you can find merchandise like t-shirts or phone cases with the logo created by Charlene Yee. And you could become a Patreon subscriber. $5 a month gets you everything you could want. There's bonus material, videos, extended interviews, blogs. I sometimes do a podcast that solely lives on Patreon where I talk to comedians about the music they like. TheMattDwyer.com. Explore it. Also, all social media is there. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Runaway. It is off the album Vixen, and it is by the band Fox Bodies. And that will be out November 5th, 2020 on Kill Rockstars. And my guest today is the singer of that fine song, Bella Vanek. And this is one heck or hell of a conversation. <laughs> Don't, I gave you the options to have heck or hell. Um, we also, I just want to say real quick that Bailey, the drummer, or sorry, the guitarist for this band, I really dig their style of playing. Um, it's a really great band. I only learned about them fairly recently and I instantly was taken with their music and I reached out to kill rock stars and the band directly because I didn't want to fuck around. I wanted to get them or one of them on the show. I always just have one person. I've never done a two-person music interview. And I highly doubt I will, but you never know. I'm not going to rule it out. Anyway, it's a really great conversation. They're a really great band. We went into a lot of... It's one of my kind of my favorite conversations because we went into a lot of... It was light. It was funny. It was serious. We um, explored ideas and shared things about ourselves. I shared something. I've never shared on this podcast before or to a lot of people. So um, you got that going on. So please uh, in, go to the show notes and check out all things that are Fox Bodies. Um, there's links to their band camp, social media, all that. Please, and buy the album, pre-order it. This is what I like. I like pre-ordering because sometimes I forget that I pre-ordered it, and then it shows up, and I'm like, cool. It's like a gift I gave myself because I'm absent-minded. Um, so please, pre-order that. Also, go to themattdwire.com. Uh, if you like Fox Bodies, there's a lot of bands that I've interviewed or people from bands that you would probably like, like the Coat Hangers, the Ophelias. The list is long and many. So go to themattdwire.com slash episodes, and you could scroll through and see all the past guests, as well as you could become a Patreon subscriber, as I just plugged moments ago. I believe that is it. I've really enjoyed this conversation. We had it a few weeks ago. So as I edited it, I revisited it. And I was like, damn, this is good. Really enjoy it. Bella's awesome. And uh, I think we became friends. We text here and there. Uh, I don't see anybody really in the real world. I have kids, so that just... Uh, my, that's my life. And come around 8 o'clock, I'm exhausted. So I go to bed. <laughs> A vast difference from the life I had a couple years ago where I would drink every night for decades. 
not decades in a row, but for decades, every night I drank. Anyway, you don't need those details. I believe that is that. Please enjoy this conversation with Bella Van Eck of Fox Bodies. Yeah, I mean, I, my family, well, half my family, my dad's side of the family is Mormon. <laughs> so oh, when wow. I came out, well, actually, my cousin outed me because he thought it was sin. So he like told the whole family. And then uh, he was the only one who cared. Everyone else was like, great, happy for you. Oh, that's, how did that, how did you feel when he did that? That's like, I can't imagine how that would feel. Yeah, it sucked. I mean, he was like, he wasn't, he married into the family. So I didn't know him as like a kid. Like we didn't grow up together, but um, yeah, he like went on his mission and then he came back and he hung out with me and I was like there. Uh, this is kind of a long story, but I was, I was there because I was doing a, like a bike ride from Canada to Portland and my dad lives in Portland, like with my whole family. And so it was me and Matt and Bailey. So like the, the bassist and the guitarist from Fox bodies, um, we were all doing that bike ride and Bailey and I at the time were like very newly broken up. So we were kind of like talking about that at a bar with him. And then we went on our bike ride. And by the time we came back, the whole family knew. (laughs) (laughs) I also, it's like, what is your motivation, pal? Like, what is that's also, it's like, what do you gain? Or like, that's, I'm always interested in what motivates people and how they operate. Not yeah, that listen, usual... if I'm being honest, I think, and this just sounds very selfish of me, but I think that he was kind of into me. And because like we weren't actually related, I think he, there was a weird part of him that was like upset about the fact that like, I, I just wasn't really into men. <laughs> yeah. Uh, men are awful, so I don't blame you. <laughs> As a man, I could say, yeah, we're garbage. <laughs> Just, you know, I've had a, I've had a, a lot of not great interactions with them, but like, luckily my, my boy, like my last boyfriend before I, um, got with my current partner, um, he was actually like a, a pretty great guy. So he kind of like helped me overcome that stuff because I think if I wasn't in that relationship, I would have a real chip on my shoulder about men, but he kind of like at least helped me like recognize that not everybody is just like, not all men are trying to just like run around and rape women. Yeah. There are some, we have a few that are okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I grew up like I kind of had a single mom situation and then I had like a lot of, older female people who took me in and sort of educated me at a young age. So I think maybe that had a lot to do with me being a bit more enlightened. And, and I grew up in a very male dominated neighborhood where, you know, my, my, don't, don't cry. <laughs> and guess who cried very easily? This guy. <laughs> so yeah, that goes hand in hand with getting the shit kicked out of you on a regular basis. So like, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so I'm not a big fan of male energy either, especially the yeah. testosterone. Like I'm from Chicago and there's a lot of frat boy energy there and it's great city. I don't want to just demean my city, but there are neighborhoods. It's just like 
white guys who like to take their shirt off and get in fights. <laughs> it's always, yeah. When it's January, you're like, just keep the shirt on at least, dude. <laughs> yeah. I think that you would get along with the boys in my band because they are very much the same way. Like, yeah, they just kind of reject all of that stuff. And, uh, my brother also like had the same situation of like being sort of raised by just a bunch of women, uh, because my mom was a single mom and then, um, she just makes friends really easily. So there were always just so many women in our house. <laughs> yeah. I found that I've, find myself more gravitated to like female like I have a lot of male friends but I just I'd rather I don't know it's easier to talk to I don't know there's still a lot of weird posturing that goes on with men yeah and it's also I mean I don't know what it's like to be a man and try to talk to men but I've seen it happen with, <laughs> with two men. <laughs> Seems like a bad time. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I've like sifted through just like on a personal level, like sifted through like what has been like stuff that I've attached myself to as defense mechanisms and being and having grown up in that sort of environment because I had to have a lot of defenses and, you know, it became survival to a degree. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. also to back up, I didn't. When you said I, it's selfish that you thought that that guy was vibing on you or whatever, I don't think that's selfish at all. I mean, I think you pick up on that energy, especially from, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just like that. There's, there's like that, that that like joke of of women just constantly being like, I have a boyfriend, like a guy is like, Hey, what's up? And they're like, I have a boyfriend. So I didn't want it to come off as like me being like, Oh, he was definitely like into me, but yeah, he was pretty weird and creepy. So, um, did you grow up in the Portland area? Cause you, uh, or are you more, cause I know Mormon, the Mormon thing is making, cause I had an ex that was from, uh, Sacramento and there was a lot of Mormons there. Yeah, they they come in pockets. It seems um, there's definitely a, a bunch in Portland uh, and like Washington. Um, but I I kind of grew up. I mostly grew up in Arizona, so I grew up in Phoenix with my brother and my mom. And then every summer and Christmas or Thanksgiving, it would switch off every year we would be in Portland. So I spent like a good chunk of time in Portland when I was growing up. I Portland's great. I know it's different a bit now, but I just love that city so much. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Well, if there, if it wasn't just like a bunch of Mormons that I was seeing every time <laughs> I went there, I think I would have liked it a lot more. <laughs> yeah. I, my, I had a very serious relationship with, a person and she, she, her family was Mormon. She like moved away from it, but I, it was, it was wild to be around. What was, yeah. how early was it where you were kind of like, Hey, something isn't driving with me in this. Um, I definitely had it earlier than Matt did. Um, I think that part of his was like a, a male bonding thing with my dad. I think he wanted to kind of like, I don't know, live up to his expectations or like whatever he thought his expectations were. Um, I was more rooted in what my 
mom cared about. And well, my mom and dad met, um, in what's called like the singles ward. So like they, they would have like once a week, like a whole like gathering of just like, basically once you turn 18, like you should be actively looking for someone to marry so that you can like start having kids. Um, so that's like where my parents met. And then they, my mom and dad were like actively in the church until they got divorced when I was like four, I think. And then my mom kind of walked away from it. Um, and so I, I kind of like, she never like, like talked bad. She still won't like, she, she still has like a lot of respect for it, but, um, just like sees a lot of the flaws in it. And so she, she's not like active in the church and has, wasn't like the whole time I was growing up. So I think that helped me kind of like question things because like it within the Mormon church, you're not supposed to question things. It's like the, the opposite of Judaism. Like you're, if you're asking questions, you're, you're not being faithful. You're like, you're second guessing, uh, like God's word and, and your parents word. And so it's like kind of disrespectful. Um, so I would ask my dad questions and he would, he would just be like, we have to have faith. Like you just have to believe. And I was like, that's not good enough for me. Like I need more. How do you know there's three levels of heaven? Like what, what are you talking about? I just need more information. Where are you getting it? And so I would say it was like, so you get baptized when you're eight. Um, and that kind of like puts you in the church and there's a lot of messed up stuff with that. Like there's this thing called like holding the priesthood where basically, um, you can have like higher up roles in the church, including like you can go to the temple and do baptisms for the dead, which I also think is pretty disrespectful. Um, but like people who weren't baptized and like died, you can go and like baptize them when they're dead in hopes that they'll like get into heaven, even though they didn't try to, when they were alive. Uh, that just makes me really think of a bunch of people holding skeletons and putting it under water. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It might be, but I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed to do it because I'm a woman. Only men are allowed to do it. So I have no idea what it looks like. Of course, it's men so would be weird. the ones reserving the weird shit for themselves. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. They're the only ones who can talk to God. That's it. So I was like, I I got baptized because my dad put a lot of pressure on me. So I got baptized when I was like eight or nine. And I remember just being like, I don't want to do this, but you also kind of get like a little party. (laughs) And I wanted the little party. Uh, and so that was like, it was a good time. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say like, it was that early that I was like, no, I'm not even allowed to ask questions. There's a lot of pressure around this. Church is really boring. It's three hours long. I don't, I don't need that. Yeah, that whole, like, if church is like the afterlife, then I'm like, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is this heaven with all these people? Because they're so boring. <laughs> I'm also like, how needy is God that he just needs people singing his praises all day? It's like, that just sounds like an insecure person. Like, am I doing okay? Am I fine? Are we good? Like, that's what that yeah. seems like to me. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah. God God just seems like kind of a prick, really. <laughs> 
yeah, if we're basing it off of like what all of these like Christian beliefs are, yeah. I'm not into it. Yeah, my our like my partner now, both of our families are very Christian. Her brothers are a little bit more hip about it. It, it as far as one can be. <laughs> but my mom is very much like whatever they say, like I'll vote what what they tell me to vote and it's just kind of you know, it's just like god, do you when do you just actively stop thinking for yourself is what I see. Like people just wanting to think for themselves or not think for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of fear. Uh, I've been watching a lot of wife swap lately because it got put on Hulu. <laughs> and I, I really don't like reality TV, but this is something else. Like, cause it's like a social experiment. It's yeah. so interesting. Uh, and there's a lot. So basically they take like two really different families and then have the wives swap for two weeks. And the first week they live by the rules of the family in the house. And then, so the second week they get to like, make their own rules and then the whole family has to live by those ones and there are so many where it's just like a punk rock family who is really laid back and like respect their children and want to like hear what they have to say and then there's just like a christian mom that comes in and is just not cool with anything and like is very preachy and then the other family is like using facts and uh, like real debate to tell the person, like, tell me more about like, why you think these things about God, like what, why, why do you feel this way about queer people? Why do you feel this way about like all, all of these things? And there's never like a clear answer. It's always just like, they get really defensive or they're just, just that same thing that I'm talking about, like with my dad, where it's just like, well, you just have to have faith. Like, this is just the things that I believe. And there's no, like, it's the opposite of the people who don't believe where they're like, well, I'm using like logic and, and facts that I know to, to talk to you about this. And you don't seem to even be interested in having a conversation about the thing that you live your entire life by, which is really confusing to me. Yeah. Uh, Also just saying like that whole device of faith just seems like a tool to keep people like got to trip. What you don't trust God. It seems manipulative, like a manipulative because I'm trying to think, and it's been a while since I've read the Bible, but like any of those motherfuckers talk about faith. Does Jesus say anything about faith? I don't think he does. And yes, I did call Jesus a motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, Good for you on all of that. Good for you on calling in that. Good for you on not reading the Bible for a long time. And good for you for just like, I mean, good for both of us for, I I don't actually know if they ever say like have faith in the Bible. They might in the book of Mormon, because that's like a whole heavy edition of stuff on top of it. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always hated reading it and it's, um, it's bad. it's not well, <laughs> but also no. it's like, I read a book years ago that like is all about, and it's the guy's like, I'm not trying to prove or disprove that Jesus Christ existed, but I'm just saying, here's the things he said. And here's all the other bullshit. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> and it's like, if you look at the, it's just analyzing the character as Jesus presented himself. And it's like, none of this shit that goes on today was any of that is in line with the, the character of the individual. If he or yeah, right. 
yeah, it's like, just ultimately it's just about like treating people with respect and all the good stuff. And then people just put whatever, like their own rules on, on top of yeah, it. Yeah. A lot of that stuff was layered on by the apostles <laughs> later. And I'm, and, but you know, it's like, but written by the hand of God. And it's like, I wasn't there. I don't know that. Was it though? <laughs> <laughs> was it? <laughs> I think God would be a little bit more articulate and maybe have some fun once in a while. There's no car chases. Yeah. I feel like there'd be some jokes, <laughs> jokes in there. Some like you're, you're good enough. Great job. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Did you, was it hard for you to step away from this? Like family wise, was your, was your family like, Oh no. Or were you, was it just like a clean break for you? Uh, <laughs> for me mentally, it was a clean break for like other people's, reactions to it it was a little more complicated my mom has pretty much supported every single thing I've ever done so there was no like issue there and she also like understood um my my brother at first I think was kind of like why are you making things complicated um do you like not like dad uh I think he was just a little confused because we were kids and stuff um and my dad and my stepmom, I feel like took personal offense to it. Uh, like there was this book that they got me that was, I don't know, it was just like about church stuff for children. And I was like, a few years later, I was like, oh yeah, like we can get rid of this. And I just remember my stepmom crying and I was like, why are you crying? And they were just like, we're just worried for you. Like you don't seem to be active in the church. You don't seem to be like caring. And yeah, they were really concerned about it. Um, and I think that they've just, I mean, they've accepted it at this point. My dad still is pretty manipulative about like trying to get us to do things with the church. Like one of the last times I saw him, he was like, I would love to go to church with you guys. It's just like, would mean a lot to me. And so we were like, okay, fine. But we're only going to go to the first hour. Cause that's like the part where you're all together. And then the second two hours, you're like splitting off with people your age. Three and stuff. fucking hours. Jesus. That's you guys are giving the Catholics a run for their money. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's uh, it's a lot. Um, and then there's like, there's like fasting Sunday where you don't eat all day. But my dad ha has diabetes, so he was allowed to eat because he had to. And all of us didn't eat. And you, yeah, you like go for the first hour, and it's like kind of like your typical regular church. Everybody's in the big room singing and stuff. And then you break off and you go to your age group and for an hour. And then I think you break off even more and go to your gender for like an hour. Um, and then in the middle of the week, you go to another thing that's like hours long. So that's a lot. I don't even remember what I was talking about before that. Now oh, I'm just reflecting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm going to change the name of the podcast of Reflections. Uh, you were talking about how your father was being manipulative and breaking away. Oh, yeah. So he... Uh, he was like, please come to church with me. And we were like, okay, we'll come to the first hour. And 
we all sit down. None of us are religious, me and my brother. And uh, I have like a half sister who her dad is my dad. Um, so we all went to visit and we're all there at church. And my dad fell asleep in the first five minutes. In the first five minutes, he's asleep the whole time. We kept waking him up, like, wake up. We are here for you. And he just kept falling asleep. And then um, my partner now came with us and everyone was very like, Ooh, like, like there's gays here. And my, my dad was just introducing <laughs> it's her contagious. as my friend. Yeah, honestly, it's like, don't teach my kids this type of vibe. And my dad just kept introducing her as my friend to everyone. It was like, oh, this is my daughter's friend. Just because he like felt weird about it. Uh, and then we kept being like, Oh, actually like, this is my girlfriend, like correcting him to everyone. Um, and then we, uh, another point during that trip, he like had the home teachers come over, uh, which is basically just like two people from the church come over and like give you a, a lesson or like read you a, a scripture and you like make them dinner and you play a game, stuff like that. And they came over and then my dad was like sitting in front of a painting on his wall uh, that has like biblical meaning. And he like starts talking about how important it is to him. Uh, It's called the iron rod, I think. And it's basically just like, oh, like the closer you stay to the iron rod, like the closer to God you are. And that's like your, the iron rod is like your actions and your thoughts and your like behaviors and stuff. And it was real preachy. And he definitely did it because we were there. And then he had the missionaries just like do a long prayer with us. And yeah, it was very much just like, we know you don't do all of this when we're not here. You're just <laughs> doing this because yeah. we're here and you know we're not religious. <laughs> yeah, we had to tell both of our families like at separate times, mine before I was with my partner, but like knock it off. Like if you want to see me, the shit doesn't happen cuz I'm not going to yeah. get on, I'm not getting on board. And my mom's husband who's a fucking doof. He's, <laughs> he's he's I've known the motherfucker 20 years and he's like, "I don't know you. Let's sit and talk." And I'm like, "Dude, like you've know like how do you not know somebody after anyway, it doesn't matter. I could go on." But I was he's always doing that passive aggressive like, "It would make your mom happy." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, you know what's going to make me happy? Not going to church." Like I'll say that cuz I'm not, like I'm like yeah. I'm not playing your game. Yeah. Yeah. You can learn about me that I'm not going to church. And if you want to talk about anything other than religion, I'd be happy to let you know me a little bit more. Yeah. And you know what's great? Sin. Sin is a blast, man. Putting stuff yeah. up my nose, drinking too much. It's a bl- I don't put things up my nose anymore, but I have. <laughs> anymore, same. <laughs> Do you... Uh, when, when did music come into all of this? Because your music's very sinful. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is like my dad loves our music it's great he should at least that's cool i mean your music's awesome yeah he's super supportive and it's really sweet um him and my my grandparents his parents who are really into the mormon church as well like they went to church every sunday during the pandemic uh on tv <laughs> like on zoom uh yeah they they 
are very into it and they all came to a show once and it was a little weird. I think my dad and my grandpa walked out and not because like they were having a bad time, but because they were just like, this is too intense and I don't like hearing about these things that you've been through. Um, but since then my dad's been to a bunch of shows and he's fine with it. He's, he's heard it all before now. Um, yeah, super sinful. I've kind of always been this way. Um, full of sin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like full of sin, like having just like a terrible cursing habit. And me too. Like even as like a, like in elementary school, I loved to swear. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, my mom let us say crap and boy, did I, it was like, it was like, you could say this word. And it was like, then in the house, there was no like, well, at school I talk like this and at home I talk like this. Like I wasn't like afraid that I was going to get in trouble for that stuff. Um, until I was at my dad's house. Cause that was a different story. But when I was like, for most of the time when I was at home, I, we weren't, I think the only thing it was like, you cannot say this is kind of like name calling. Um, like uh, we weren't allowed to say shut up, which I still love because I never say it to people. And I, I think it's so disrespectful when people say it, uh, unless it's like a princess diaries type of shut up where it's just like, uh, more of like an exclamation, like, Oh, are you kidding me? Right. But to actually like tell someone to shut up, I think is the worst. Um, one time I called <laughs> one time, I think I was in like fifth grade and, Matt like wouldn't let me use one of his like things that I wanted to use. And so I called him a little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And my punishment was that my mom started making me go to church. She wouldn't even go with me. She just was like, you're going to church now. And like, was like trying to make me like be surrounded by like people with better attitudes and (laughs) be more respectful. And I thought it was so funny. That's hilarious. Boy, I wouldn't swear if somebody, if I had to go to church, I'd be like, you're right. I'm not going to swear because that's... Oh, yeah, I didn't. That's a harsh punishment. <laughs> that's worse than being yeah. smacked. Yeah, it sucked. Um, did When you took an interest in music, did that c- coincide with your brother, Matt, or was it a separate, like... Uh... Oh, yeah. Matt has, like, pretty much always been involved. So we, we were kind of... Uh, into music separately for a while. Like I was in choir and theater stuff in high school. I was in varsity choir. (laughs) And (laughs) so I always like loved singing and stuff. And then Matt, uh, started like learning guitar and, um, he was really into that. And so like, you know, sometimes he would be like, playing guitar ukulele and then I would sing some stuff like I think one of the first things I remember doing that with him was the Adventure Time theme song he learned it on the ukulele and then we would just like randomly sing it together and it was cute and fun and then I think my senior year of high school my cousin got married and had Matt and I sing Hey There Delilah at the reception uh or no 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 during the ceremony, during the ceremony, uh, we did that. And that was weird because I had a baby voice, but it was really fun at the time. And then we sang Home at the Reception by um, Edward Sharp and the Magnificent Zeros. 
Uh, and that was really cool too. I got to play a melodica during that one. So that was fun. Uh, I was just going to ask if those were like your first solo ventures of singing in -hmm. front of people. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I had been on a stage and stuff before because of choir and because of theater stuff, but that was the first time that was the first time I I ever like performed in sort of like a, a band type way. Um, and then we didn't really do anything like that again. And then Matt actually moved to Portland and I moved to Tucson for college. So we were like separated and that sucked. That was like the longest we've ever like been separated. And it was only a year. And then he rode his bike from Portland to like Laguna beach. And then he just never left. Like he came to Tucson and he started staying at my house that I lived at with Bailey. And then it was like the three of us just living in this house together. And, um, then they, they kind of made music together. Like Matt made his own music, Bailey made their own music. And then they like, I think kind of made music together and, I worked at a movie theater with Adam, our drummer, and I, I, I know there were more things in between, but I feel like one day I just woke up and understood that I had been like manipulated and traumatized. And before that was just like, I had a really bad relationship ending and that really sucked because it was a secret. And then I just feel like I woke up and was like, oh, this feels bad. And it felt terrible for a long time. And then I was like, hey, Adam, I know you know how to play the drums. I have a drum set at my house. Can you just come play the drums and I can like scream over it? And I started teaching myself how to play the guitar. So I was like playing electric guitar and just like screaming and stuff. But then it was like kind of getting in the way because I was like trying to focus on guitar stuff. And then basically Bailey and Matt just like came home and we were like, can you, can you just like come in here and play some instruments? And then, uh, we just never stopped. That's wild. (laughs) (laughs) I just love like sometimes these, the way bands come together is just so fascinating to me because sometimes it's just this random thing. And, and especially when it's somebody who like, as your band, I find there's like a magic to you guys. I just, fucking love what you guys thank do you. thank you Means you're welcome it was just like one of those things and it's i th- you know it's rare but when something just really pops to you and i don't know if it's like hits you on a personal level or if it's also you know what it is but it's just like and i sent it to my partner and she's like this is fucking great <laughs> oh, <laughs> played it for so my sweet. kids <laughs> oh how old are your kids uh i have two girls one in something like one in a few months and then the other one's going to be six in 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 november and she's she already has like a she's interested in music and i'm pulling you know i i want my kids to be artists i don't want i'm like don't don't worry about money because it's just all Hell bullshit. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're she, the punk family on wife swap there you go I keep trying to get my wife to, to, to swap. Uh, that was a terrible joke. <laughs> 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 I 
But like it's we, okay, I'll accept it. We play like there's always music on, being from whatever decade. Like we listen to a lot of swing music. Like for, there's a radio. We stream like a station from New Orleans, and we stream a, like a '30s swing. And then there's always like, you know, coat hangers. There's always shit on. And yeah. I, you know, cause we, I don't want her to just think it's all 1940s in here. So, and I listen. We listen to everything. So it's like she likes like Bikini Kill, and she likes the coat hangers. So that's kind of cool that my kid yeah, is into that's that rad. shit. And she gets mad when there's too many male singers. She's like, okay, yes, yeah. Which is so. I made her a playlist of all like female fronted bands because. Because wow. I, I want her to be that. <laughs> what a good dad. I want her to know. And it's cool because it's like I've talked to some of these musicians, like the two of the people from the Cone Hangers and stuff, and they didn't have a lot of like female music role models as many as there are now. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I want my kid to have, know it's like, that's something you can do. Like, don't even think twice about it. Like, you can totally fucking kick some shit out of the stages and whatnot (laughs) yeah yes like i'm so happy for them because i yeah i have to agree like i didn't have i didn't have that and i think that it was there but i don't think that i had a family that was doing what you're doing and was like finding music for me that i would be interested in um and I'm so, I'm envious of that. I'm so happy for them because I didn't even know about Sleater Kinney until I was like teaching myself how to play the guitar till I was like 19. Uh, and I was, and like same with Bikini Kill because I worked at a movie theater. I, I saw the punk singer when it came out cause I worked at like a, an indie movie theater and I was like, what the fuck? I have yet this to see that. Awesome. I keep wanting to see oh, it. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I'm dying to. I just somehow I keep forgetting. I watch a ton of music documentaries too, so it seems. Yeah, it threw me into this world like was, full force. That was a pivotal moment for you seeing that film. That was like. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It was like uh, watching that, being introduced to Sleater Kinney. Um, by Bailey because Bailey, I think Bailey was, um, given some of their music by someone else, but then was like, holy shit, you have to listen to this stuff. So I think that all kind of happened around the same time that I was realizing that like I had been through like actually really fucked up situations and it wasn't just like regular, terrible breakup stuff. Um, so it all just kind of came at one time, but it was definitely, definitely around the time I saw that movie. Was Bikini Kill and Slater Kinney coming out of that sort of bad situation? Was that sort of, uh, helped you a a thing to turn towards um, for lack of me being articulate? (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the, it's the reason I started playing music because I was like, clearly these women are mad. Like these women are pissed. I'm pissed. I feel bad. I don't know what to do with that. And I did, I felt better listening to them. And then I started to like, try to do, do similar things. And 
it just felt great. Like I, I was so shocked. I was so shocked at how effective it was. When I found Sleater Kinney, I would say from 19 to 20, I didn't listen to anything else. Like I would, I went through like all 10 of their albums <clears throat> and like chose, chose like my favorite songs from them and made like a really long playlist. And I would just like ride my bike to work and listen to that. And it was like it because I couldn't, I was having so much trouble functioning. It was like kind of my lifeline. Uh, did when did, because I've read, or actually I heard, doesn't really matter, but that you said that a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> we have to solve this, which was it, um, that you, a lot of your lyrics are almost like diary entries that you go, is that, does that ring? How much of, yeah, what yeah. You, <laughs> how much of what is in your lyrics are just here's my life oh all of it all of it yeah nothing 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 in any of our songs is fiction or like something that i was like this will make a good song like i feel like that's what vampire weekend does i feel like that's (laughs) what a lot of male artists do is like they haven't really been through a lot of stuff so they're like what should i write a song about let's write a song about Oxford (laughs) and then they do it I don't have like I can't write songs it seems unless they're like kind of fucked up unless they're sad like I've tried to I've tried so hard to write like a love song doesn't work I I think it was um that girl Friday the band that they refused to write do you know them they're from they're on they're oh they're from here they're from Los Angeles my Girl Friday? I'm my, but anyway, they refused to write love songs. That's awesome. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's I thought that was really cool. And I love I love their stuff. Anyway, was there moments yeah. when you started going down that road of like, I'm going to just throw what's going on with me? Was there moments of f- fear or were you just like, fuck it, I'm just doing this? <laughs> I think it was more the second one. Uh like I said, I, I kind of have always been a little bit like, I don't really care what people are thinking about like the things that I'm doing. And I don't necessarily know, like, there are definitely like things that embarrass me or make me feel like shame and stuff it's not really ever stuff that I choose to share. I feel like there's so much control when you're the person who's sharing them. Like for instance, I turned in my teacher that was the one that abused me. And then there was like an article that came out about it. And I didn't know the article was coming out or that had, it had been written. And then I just started getting sent this article about this guy that, uh, what, like this was our teacher in high school and he was having sex with a student for these three years. And it was the three years we were in high school. And who do you think it was? It was someone that was on the soccer team and like, like, who do you think it was? And then I just ended up like 
that felt bad. That felt far worse than me. Like, I mean, in the album that we're putting out right now, there's a spoken word song that is just like breaking down the trauma that I had in that situation. And that feels fine to me because I'm the person that's giving the information and I don't really care what people think of it. But when it came to that article and it came out and it wasn't my words and it wasn't my control. And then there were just like so many comments on it that were just like, she just wanted the money or wow, he must have a huge cock. Like just like crazy shit that I was like, I have no control over this. This feels so bad. Why would I ever lie about this? And now I'm like, if someone came up to me after like I've written these albums and performed these things and was like, you're lying. I just think I would laugh. Like, I think it would be genuinely funny to me because I'm, I know in my heart that like, that's not true. And I've like felt all of this stuff and moved through it and then watched other people realize that like they have been abused and watching them move through it. Yeah. I guess, I guess just when you say things that are, that are then in your control, it's a lot easier to take sort of like criticism or I don't know, hear, hear other people's perspective. And then like, most of what I get in return is just people being like, thank you. Or I didn't realize this had happened to me or whatever. Yeah. Something I've never said on the podcast, but I myself have been abused. So I understand that where that comes from. And that's something recently was in the news about a celebrity who I won't name, but they, and I'll tell you why when we're done recording. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it did, a thing came out from 20 years ago and people are like 20 years ago, like, like that somehow invalidates what this person is saying. And I'm like, what happened? That means they've been dealing with it for 20 fucking years, not talking about it. Exactly. And that's, it took me up until a few years ago to openly accept, like kind of knew it, like it dances around your head. It fucks with every choice you ever make. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, and I don't think people realize how it just affects every aspect of your life. I've had shitty yeah. fucking relationships. I've, I've reacted to things poorly, blah, blah, blah. You understand. But it's like, and it's like, so if it took me 30, whatever, I mean, I don't even, couldn't even tell you how many years it took me to say it out loud and then start working. And it's like, and you still feel horrible and deal with the shame and conflict, internal conflict. And so it's like for someone to be like 20 years, it's like, yeah, motherfucker, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. It's been brewing for 20 years and I didn't understand why. And I don't. This is the thing we were talking about at the very beginning of this, you're like growing into this thing and then you go, fuck, now I have to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy and HBO's yeah. got some good new shows. I don't have time for this. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, what? And it's like, there's so much confusion that comes with that, that I don't think unless you've gone through it, you can say like, you can't say to me what, who can say, talk about it when they talk about it. Like you, you don't have that right. Only the people who've gone through 
Or should we say members of the club? (laughs) Members of the club. Yeah, the statute of limitations is is really fucked up. It's really fucked up. I um I reported my abuse like I think honestly maybe six months before the statute of limitations wow. would, would would have been up. And it was like I realized what had happened to me. I told the people that I needed to tell, started dealing with it. And then I like I reported it pretty quickly. So I'm like there are so many people that would not have moved through that so quickly and would just n- never be able to like get any sort of peace of mind or justice or anything like that. And that's fucking terrible. Yeah. And it's like, my situation is probably different. You know, I couldn't find these people if I've tried. I mean, if unless I really, really tried and it was like so long ago, it wouldn't really matter. But like if it matters, I mean, like, I, I, I don't think anything could happen to them other than, but the point, I guess, but like 20 years ago, like at 20 years old, I don't know if I would want, if I had the ability to address that mentally, or I don't think I had the strength or, and was ready. And so, yeah, people shut, shut up about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's not I'm in I'm in school for forensic psychology right now. Oh, really? And But you're mm-hmm. going to be but you're probably going to have Grammys and be on Saturday night live. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my god, dude. I can't I can't even think about that. Saturday night live is like my favorite thing. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I love it so much. I uh I used to I used to hang out there. I used to live in New York and I, I come from uh, second city, which is a Chicago theater that they hired a lot of people. So that's, I've yeah. been rounded for a lot. It's, it's, it's weird when you start hanging around there. Cause at first you're like, Holy fuck, I'm here. And then you start seeing how the inner workings, you're like, this is weird. This is a weird place. <laughs> <laughs> this is really complicated and stressful. There's a very fear-based vibe that goes through there and i'm like i'm not i don't think f- operating on fear and creativity are th- two things that should work that that's anti what creativity should be as far as i'm concerned yeah i think it takes a real specific type of person to work on that show yeah and then there's like certain people i think like who just seem to f- it not phase them they're like i would say like sandler or farley or guys who are just like so fucking great that it doesn't like and so sure of themselves creatively that it doesn't but who knows i wasn't there for that i'm just speculating yeah i mean i so i felt the same way about like like bill Hader and Kristen wig uh are like my favorite my favorite movie is called skeleton twins and it's the two of them and they play twins that are like just so psychologically fucked up and like emotionally fucked up and it's it's not a comedy, but it is a comedy. It's a dark comedy, and it's the best. But I found out that Bill Hader, who is like brilliant on SNL and just like does have that like quality where he seems just like a natural and he seems so comfortable on the stage, was like, I hated working on SNL because 
I was having like panic attacks every single show. It never got better. It was always bad. I was so scared. I had so, so much performance anxiety. And I was like, I, I would have never, ever, ever been able to tell that. Yeah. I, I feel like I saw, you ever watch Phil Hartman's audition? It's like, he so just doesn't give a shit. And like, <laughs> like it, which is like, that's how you have to be. I think in comedy in general, it's just like, it doesn't fucking matter. And yeah, he's just like clowning off. And I think he didn't, he had to get coaxed into coaxed. Is that the right word? But he had to get, yeah. uh, to audition. He was like, ah, I don't think so. And then people are like, please, 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 please look it up. It's pretty wild. Cause he's just like, it's just like, he could give a shit. And it's like, of course you got hired because you didn't give a shit. And you're so yeah. fucking brilliant. Like there, I mean, that's yeah. one of the best guys to ever be on the show. As far as I'm concerned, people. Yeah. One of the best. People. It seems like to be a comedian at all. You just have to let stuff kind of slide off your back. Like I listen to my favorite murder all the time. And I've been, I there. feel like, like what? I've been on that podcast, <laughs> Hometown Murder. Yeah. I'm friends with, yeah, uh, my so, wife does their uh, their website. Really? Yeah. She does their website, the website that, and they're like the, whatever, the network website. Well, well done. <laughs> Tell her well done. Yeah. That, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of full circle for me because on our first tour, we were like, we're going to be driving for so long. None of us listen to podcasts. Maybe we should listen to a podcast. And it was the fifth episode of My Favorite Murder. So I've been listening since the fifth episode of My Favorite Murder. We just listened <coughs> to like a ton of it. And so we always listen to it on tour. And then when you contacted us, I was like, Matt Dwyer, I feel like I know that name. And then... I like went to your Twitter and was like reading some of your tweets. And then I, I listened to the Alice bag episode that you just did. And, and then I was like, Oh my God, Karen Kilgariff says my friend, Matt Dwyer so much on my favorite. Murder. <laughs> oh, that's, I yeah. haven't listened to a while. Cause I started getting really paranoid. I was going to get murdered. So I was like, okay, I have to stop listening for my mental health. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But Karen, yeah, I, when I used to do stand-up, Karen and I often did shows together. And oh, so she's, sweet. Oh, she's so, she's great. Like, I just, she's just like a powerhouse talent of a human. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I'm listening to Karen and Georgia and they're like cracking jokes at each other and some of them don't land and then they're just like, that was a terrible joke. Or like, it was, it's like they do a live show and Karen says something and people like laugh and she's like, don't laugh at that. That was a terrible joke. Come on. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so admirable to me because I just like, that's the kind of stuff I get embarrassed about. It's like, Oh, that joke didn't land. Like that wasn't funny. Oh, maybe that was kind of rude. Maybe they're offended. And I admire when people just don't even think like that because then they're so much more funny. It's so much more funny to say things like, don't laugh at that. That was a terrible joke. Yeah. You have to, even if it's fake, you, even if it's fake confidence, you have to have, you have to front it and you can't, because if you do show weakness as a comedian, you're fucked. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Bombing is one of the worst. I've had a lot of bad feelings in my life. Bombing is up there with some pretty horrible things that's happened. To me. <laughs> it seems, it seems like if there is a hell, it's, it's that it's you just trying to make jokes on a stage and it not being the right 
jokes or the right audience or the right timing or something. And you just don't know what it is. I bombed, that seems like hell. I bombed in front of 4,000 people. And it was, I, but in my defense, I was opening up for Julio Iglesias. Who's like, so the audience was like, you know, they're all 70 and pretty much before I went on stage, they're like, these are the things you can't talk about. And I was like, I have no act. Like I can't talk about anything. So I was like trying to figure out new material. Why would they tell you that right when you're going to go on? Uh, Cause stage, that seems like cause an stage email managers. You <laughs> yeah. I knew that a little bit before, but they like reiterated it. And then they also told me right before I went on, they're like, so just so you know, sometimes you like, you might have to like stretch because if Julio is not ready, then you have to keep going. And I'm like, what? Like, why would you? And so he's like, so you might have to improvise or something. So I'm no. like, so if Julio decides to take a fucking bath or like, ah, I'm going to order a pizza. Like, it's like, like I'm at his whim. Yeah. Like, can I get a partner to bring out if I do have to do improv? <laughs> you can make me do it by myself. So it was, and I was getting heckled before I even spoke. Like it was that no. bad. But then I had the second night and I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to do my act. And these, if they don't pay me, then they can fuck off. Even though my account was, <laughs> my account was like my checking account at the time was like $400 in a negative. So I needed this fucking money. <laughs> so I drank a half a bottle of wine and I was just like, I'm doing my fucking, act. I had like a water bottle. I was drinking wine on stage. Cause I was like, fuck all of you people. And I, did, oh, yeah. and I did fine. And then I got, but I was so humiliated still from the first night that I just walked off stage, got in my car and left. Like I didn't say shit to anybody. Cause I was just like, get me the fuck out of here. Wow. I love that so much. It was God. The silence of 4,000 people is just unbearable. I can't. I so I watch marvelous Mrs. Maisel and those are the scenes that I just can't. I can't stand it. Like if she has a bad show, I am just like, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> this is so hard to watch. You know, what's wild though, too, is like when you, when you hang out at the clubs regularly, which is, I don't, I haven't done it in six years to see like, like when you were at the bigger clubs, like at improv, the improv and stuff to see dudes who are like the, the, the biggies bomb because they're trying out new material is wild to see. Cause it's like, and it's like, this happens to everybody. It's just part of the process. You could, you know, yeah. I think there's certain dudes like Chappelle who are just so probably just everything that comes out of their mouth. It's just like they're a machine or something. I think there's yeah. people like that that exist, but most people trip over and will have a bad night. And maybe Chappelle does too. I don't know. Even prior, like had nights where he just ate shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure for, at least for a while while he was like figuring was, out how to rein in his voice, that was happening. Yeah. Well, like he did a, one of his films bombed. Like he, they were filming one of his concert specials and the whole night was a disaster. So they had to do it over. <laughs> like that's not just bombing. That's bombing and costing thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's bad. That couldn't have been fun. Um, how did you, did you have... There's, there's something that's like, I don't know. It's very interesting to me. Your physicality in the video for uh, uh, BPD. <laughs> like, I'm like, cause that's, and it's funny. Cause then you're saying you like Saturday, but like the physicality is like, it's really awesome to me. The way you start walking. Is there any, anything? To, yeah. So I love it. By that, the way. 
I feel like I don't know if it's clear or not, but we made that video as like a parody of a suicidal tendency. That's what video. I thought. No, I got it. That's <laughs> I got it. But now I was curious about that. Yeah. So like I was trying to get his uh, his like movements down because he's so fucking awkward. Like he's just he's so stiff. And he just, he's like walking through this situation that's like crazy and not paying any attention to it. So I was like trying to do that as much as I could. So we were at Angel City Brewery. I was wondering where that was. Yeah, yeah. I I used to work there. So we were just like set up there and that we had like all these like wooden like partitions and I would just like, we kind of just put them all in front of each other. So I just was like walking through them like like they were nothing. And... (laughs) It was so stupid. It was so funny. I love the I love video. That video. It's great. But it, it, I just, it, I don't know. It. I when I saw it, I was like, this person does more than. Do you act? Do you want to act? Does that interest you? Like I just, it was such a. I don't know. It was just. It really grabbed me, and I was like, does this person do other things besides sing? Yeah. Yeah. I. I wanted to be an actor like for a long time as a kid. And, and then after that, all of the professions I wanted to be were based off of TV that I was really into at the time, which is really funny to me because I feel like ultimately that just meant that I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> and I kind of feel <laughs> I kind of feel like I get to do that a little bit. Like, yeah, when I perform, I definitely I'm definitely like putting on a show and um, doing some acting. It is, it is all like based off my life and is like real reactions that I've had, but you know, you have to like put yourself back in that place and stuff. And I'm definitely acting when I do it. So I was in theater in high school, did some plays and I actually, when I was a kid, um, I did a few things at this place in Phoenix called Valley Youth theater and while I was there I found out that that's like where Emma Stone started acting oh wow yeah because she she grew up in Phoenix for a while before she talked her family into moving to LA um yeah so I found that out and I was like that's so cool I love that a kid talked her family into moving to LA oh she made like a powerpoint presentation that planned out it was like if I don't succeed by like this amount of time, then we can like move back or move wherever. But I'm asking for you to give me like this chance. And they were like, well, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Fuck. That's crazy. Yeah. I wish I had that fucking kind of confidence at now. Anytime in my life, I would like, I want you documentary about Bob Dylan. I'm like, how does that guy just, he just was like, this is me fucking deal with it. And I was like, I've been apologizing for myself since birth. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine if someone, if someone says something about me that I know isn't true, it still trips me up and I have to be like, hang on a second. Is that true about me? (laughs) Yeah. So I don't get it. I don't know how people have that sort of confidence either. But on stage you like have, I don't know. You're in it, man. Yeah. I think, I think a big part of that is that it's like my own thing. So I feel like I can do stuff with it. Like I did, I did a lot of film stuff. So in college I was, I, my minor was film. My major was psychology and my minor was film. And 
so it was like acting in films, but then I was also sort of like assistant directing and like producing, um, stuff. And that always felt more spooky than like any of the stuff I do now, because it was someone else's work and someone else's vision. So there's like something else you kind of have to, to bring to it. But when it's my stuff, it's like, yeah, who cares if I like mess up the words or if I like don't do a move right, or I forget what I'm supposed to be doing in a song because like, it's, it's whatever I get to do whatever I want. Right. Do you do direct your videos or do you want to direct your videos? I think so. We try to keep things very much like we all write our own parts. We all like perform our own stuff. We always write our songs together. And so it's kind of how we do the music videos as well. It's like the suicidal tendency one. Uh, we all were like, this is what we want to do. And like found the costumes we wanted to do together, kind of set up the shots the way we wanted to do. But then um, Bailey's partner actually like shot it. And then we didn't have like a director on set. So she sort of was the director because she was shooting it. But ultimately like anything and everything we do has everyone's hands in it, which can get a little crazy, but is ultimately feels like a good thing. You have the best day ever in the whole time of worth earth earth. Thank you so much. Right back at you. listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening